What's up, Destiny Church? Good morning. God is good. All the time. Come on, somebody. Praise God. It's a good day. It's a good day. What's the Lord going to do today? Are you ready to receive? Are you ready to receive? I got to tell you, I thought about calling an audible and preaching a message this morning about overcoming and diversity and whenever you're down and people are counting you down and you're 27 and nothing, that there's a good life lesson that it ain't over till it's over. Hello? What about them Jaguars? I'm sorry. I'm sorry I had it. But I, I ain't going to preach that message today. <laughs> Although it kind of fits with what we're talking about. But uh, turn with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Acts chapter 11. I know that we've been taking a little bit of a break from Christmas, New Year's. Talked about fasting and prayer. How you guys doing on your fasting and prayer? <laughs> I didn't expect to get like everyone, Yeah! <laughs> Like, can we just eat, please, Pastor, and just end this thing today? No. But um, we've been taking a little bit of a, a break from our all-in series. By the way, for those of you that are just joining us, it is a study in the book of Acts. Um, in Acts chapter 11, what we're talking about, especially with us taking this break, three weeks break, it's a great place for us to pick back up because it essentially recaps what just took place in Acts chapter 10, which is the telling of how the gospel of Jesus spread to the Gentiles. And so here's just kind of maybe a quick synopsis of its retelling. And this is kind of the beginning of Acts chapter 11. Peter had a vision from God in which he was told to eat unclean animals, which he initially resisted, but soon realized that what it was that God was telling him and meant by the vision was that the message of Jesus was meant for all people, not just for the Jews. And then whenever the apostles had heard about this, they initially were skeptical, of course. And then Peter explained the vision, and then they accepted it. And guys, this part right here, this marks the <clears throat> turning point in the early church and the message of Jesus being spread to the Gentiles. And which, by the way, if you're new to church, uh, Gentiles just simply means someone that is a non-Jew. But I want us to pick up here in Acts chapter 11. Let's do starting in verse 19. Acts 11, 19 says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. Now let's pause here and let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit desires to speak to each and every one of our lives. Father, we ask today that you would bring transformation. We pray today that you would allow truth to go forth, for we know, Lord, that it is your truth that brings freedom into men and women's lives. So, God, let us today, Lord God, have a heart that is found as fertile soil by which the seed of your word will be planted. We thank you, Lord, that we stand, Lord, against firm against distractions. 
But Lord, we pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in this place. In Jesus' name, and all the church said, amen. Now, right here in Acts eleven nineteen, what we are reading about is kind of hard for, I want to say, the majority of us to relate to. Because I don't know about you, but I have never been persecuted to the point that I've had to leave my home, leave my, my brothers, my, my sisters in Christ, and go and have to then settle in another city because of severe persecution. Actually, I personally don't even know anyone uh, in our country that has ever experienced that. And again, the, the persecution that we're talking about here, just so you get a frame of reference of what I'm talking about when I say persecution, it's not people like gossiping about us or just taking advantage of us, but those that were being persecuted, these New Testament believers, like we've already read about one of them that's been put to death, one of Jesus' followers, Stephen. And now once they've crossed that line, it's caused them to become bloodthirsty for more. Now, I just want to ask, if that were to happen today, how do you think that Christians would respond? I mean, like, what if you lived in a place where persecution was so severe that it meant that you had to pack up everything that you owned and everyone that you know or be put to death? Now, some of you radicals in this room, and I say that in a positive tone, <laughs> would respond maybe in a, a, a same manner as Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You would trust that God would see you through it. But even if not, you're never going to bow down to the world. Come on. Do I have any radicals in the room? But I have to say that I believe that that would just be the exception for the body of Christ here in America and not the rule. Like, I think that the majority of those who claim to be followers of Jesus would simply to choose to not follow him any longer because the cost would require more than what they were willing to pay. Reminds me of a true story that I heard uh, many years ago of a church that was meeting during the Iron Fist of the Soviet Union. And by the way, if you've never read up on the history of the persecuted church over the past hundred years, it would do you well to be informed. You know, oftentimes we read about things in the Bible and we think that it's so far removed from us because it was thousands of years ago. But friends, persecution for putting your faith in Jesus is happening all over the world. Now, just to give you a little bit of context about the story that I'm about to tell you, Sources tell us that anywhere between 15 to 20 million Christians were killed by the USSR. Like the eradication of religion was one of the central doctrines of communism. And of course, Christians were one of the very first groups to be targeted. Sources say that at least 168,300 Russian clergymen, ministers of the gospel, were executed between 1937 and 1938. In addition to that, Joseph Stalin had ordered at least 6,000 churches to be destroyed. 
Now, again, I share that with you just to kind of give you context with, to this story. You see, during the reign of the Soviet Union, there was a church that had been secretly uh, gathering together and to worship and pray. But word must have got out about their gathering because one day they got a big knock on the door. And they came in, the, social, the Soviet uh, Russian soldiers, and they said, whoever is here that is a Christian, we're going to have mercy on you. And if you will renounce God, we'll let you go with your life and leave. And half of the church accepted their offer, and they left. Those that remained were all lined up against the wall. The soldiers then closed the doors and all the windows. Now picture this, if you will. Then each of the soldiers laid down their guns and said to those who remained, we too are Christians, but we only wanted to worship with real ones. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but that sets my heart ablaze right there. May we be found as those whom others would consider real followers of Jesus. Amen? Let's read the next couple of verses, verse 20 and 21. It says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch, and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. I love that Luke emphasizes the truth here that the Lord's hand was with them. Because it wasn't anything that they had done that was bringing about the success that they were seeing. But it was the result of God's hand being with them. Now, I bring this to your attention because in our lives, God wants to do in us and through us far greater than anything we could ever imagine beyond our own abilities, that is. And I love that because God, when I think of him and the dreams that he's placed in my heart, I am acutely aware that I don't have the ability to make those things happen on my own strength and my own wisdom. But to the things that he has purposed for my life, he has given us his promise that his grace is sufficient. Meaning that it's not the result of our hard work bringing about his purposes, but rather it is the result of a life that is fully surrendered to him. A life that says, I am not, but I know I am. Come on, if you didn't catch that wordplay, you can go ahead and read it again. I am not, but I know I am. King David said it this way in Psalm 115, verse 1. He said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Church, can I just tell you, there's nothing God can't do through a person who walks in full surrender and complete obedience to God. Why? Because God loves to reveal his goodness, his glory, and his grace to humanity. But we've but to just recognize that God is the source of all good things, and we are simply benefactors of that grace. Now, the early church, I think that they knew this. And I think that's why we see God using them in the manner in which he did. Let's read a couple more verses, verses 22 and 23. It says, the news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas 
to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Let us stop here for a moment. One thing that we see all throughout the early church is them constantly encouraging one another. The Bible says that Barnabas was encouraged by what he saw, and in turn, he gave encouragement. Let me ask you something. Who would say, well, pastor, I'm good. I don't need any encouragement in my life. I don't need any more. I've got so, matter of fact, I've got so much of it. I mean, like, I got too much of it. Anyone? No? Okay. Then who would say, I could use some more encouragement in my life. I could use people reminding me of who I am in Christ. I could use people who are lifting me up, who are praying for me and over me and speaking words of life to me as I go about my daily life. Like who would sign up for some of that encouragement? Raise your hand. All right. I'm going to tell you how to get it. You ready? Jesus said it in Luke 6.38, give and it will be given to you. Start encouraging someone and watch how it returns back to you. And even if you think that you don't need encouragement, I could promise you that everywhere you look, there are people around you who do. And if you're not sure who, let me just say this, I'll take it. Come on. You can give your pastor all the encouragement that you want because I'll be honest and say that I need encouragement. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Church, we've got to be intentional about this. Are you following me? Stay with me. Look at me for a minute. Like, I mean, like we need to be encouraging one another. We need to be building up one another. When you see another brother and sister in Christ, when you walk through those doors, even if you don't feel like it, are you with me? Because I know you're thinking, somebody needs to be encouraging me. Somebody needs, no, that's not what Jesus said. He said, give, and it will be given to you. So start giving, even if you don't feel like it. That's what faith is called. Why do we think that we've got to, I, you know, can I say I rarely feel like it? Because I'm, I'm getting older, you know, and so now I'm starting to feel hurts and pains now. So even if my spirit's feeling good, my body ain't feeling good, you know what I'm saying? Uh, hello? So we've got to overcome that, that, that thing of, well, I don't feel like it. You know what? Well, if you'll get out there and do it when you don't feel like it, then all of a sudden you might start feeling like it. I'm just saying. I'm just throwing that out there. First Thessalonians 5, 11 says, therefore encourage one another. Build up one another. And then he says, just as you are doing. Now notice this right here says, just as you're doing. So evidently Paul recognized that they were encouraging one another. But then he reminds them to continue doing what they were doing, to, to, to not stop. Hebrews 10, 25, I think it carries the same tone as 1 Thessalonians 5 when it says, and let us not neglect our meeting together. Listen to me. I'm not going to bring about condemnation on anyone because I don't believe that God gives anyone condemnation. But, like, we need to be in the house of God where we can see other brothers and sisters, where we can encourage them on Sunday mornings. 
Are you with me? Now, look, if you've not been in the house of God for a while, or you're online and you've not been, it's time to come back now. Come on. I went to a stadium last night where I saw some of y'all who ain't here on a Sunday morning. You were there last night. I was there last night, and I'm here this morning. Are you with me? Come on now. If you, talk, if you start spitting out that, well, COVID, and you're around 60,000 people, after drinking six bit, don't help me. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, was that where we at? Let us not neglect. This is a command, y'all. So in case y'all thinking, well, of course, pastor's just trying to. Look, I teach God's word. If God said that we need to get down and we need to start licking the floor, I tell y'all to get down and lick the floor. I mean, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm teaching what his word says. This isn't pastor's opinion here, okay? I, I'll abide by the same thing. I'm a Christian just like you guys. You know what I'm saying? I just happen to be a teacher of his word. Hebrews 10, 25 says, and let us not neglect. Stop neglecting our meeting together, as some people do. I think some translations say, some have the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more. needs to be increasing in our lives, not decreasing. All the more as the days draw near. I know this is probably a familiar scripture to many of you guys. But this right here, it highlights the importance of us, like, not neglecting our gathering together. But I want you to just notice the line of thinking of the writer here. He essentially is telling us, like, Stop getting into the, the bad habit of skipping church, of skipping ecclesia, okay, of gathering together. But then he says, but encourage one another and all the more. This right here tells me two things. One, it tells me that in order for me to be able to encourage someone, first of all, I'm going to have to be around them. Hello? I mean, like, thank God for your social media and your text messaging. Okay, but let me tell you something. Ain't nothing like looking somebody in the eye and say, man and woman of God, you got the spirit of God on you. I believe in you. Hello? Come on. But in order for me to be able to encourage someone, I'm going to have to be around them. Hence, the north, not forsaking the gathering of the saints. Because here's the thing, and I heard a pastor say this many years ago, your good thoughts and intentions, they never help anyone. Are, are you hearing me? The scripture then goes on to say, and all the more, right? Meaning that our encouragement towards other, again, it should be increasing. Now, church, let me pose this thought. The Bible says that we are to go from glory to glory. What if our giving, our giving of thanks, our giving of praise, our giving of encouragement was connected to us increasing with God's glory in our lives? I'm just asking, what if? Hey, I know this. Whenever we see the early disciples encouraging one another, not only were they doing that as, as a result of, of uh, building one another up, but those deposits, that's what led toward the advancement of the kingdom of God. And it fueled them towards their purpose. 
Matter of fact, it calls what the Bible says, uh, calls them to have steadfast purpose. Meaning that the challenges and the temptations that they would face, it would not allow them to, to lose focus or to lose faith. Verse 24 then tells us, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. How many of you know, by the way, that this is God's will for our life? That's why we're here, folks. Like everything that we do on this earth is to really, you can put it under the umbrella of two things, either to know him or to make him known. That's it. I, mean, I, I don't care if you're talking about even in your marriage. I'm talking about even in your parenting and your job and everything that we do. It's going to fall under that umbrella somewhere. Loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Right? Hinge all the law and the prophets on that, Jesus said. God is willing that none would perish. That's his will. But that all would come to repentance. Can I just tell you that for that to happen, we play a huge role in it. Are you, did you know that? We have a huge role. And here's what I mean by that. The world coming to know Christ waits not on the readiness of God, but on the obedience of Christians. As we read about the early church, the reason that we see so many people coming to the Lord. Now, by the way, in case you're out there and you're trying to play devil's advocate in your mind, of course, God could not, he doesn't have to use us. Are you with me? But if you go and read your Bible, good thing to do. Philippians chapter 1 says that we have a participation. We get to participate with the Spirit. And I love that about God because God could easily come and perform all of his purposes and we don't do anything but just sit on the sidelines. But God has called us to be a part, which is the reason that he gave his Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 to come up on us because you see my faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within me. But when I get baptized in his Spirit, the Spirit that's within me comes up on me and it comes up on me so that I can be a witness to the world. Are you tracking with me? And I believe with all my heart, that's why we see so many people coming to the Lord here in the book of Acts. And when I consider that, it causes me to wonder, what might God do through my life if I were but to be obedient to what he tells me to do? I can tell you this, you won't know until you do it. Hey, Peter didn't step out of the boat and walk on the water as a result of Jesus uh, giving him this long speech about how that could happen or how he was uh, able to override the laws of nature because he had a higher law. Uh, nor did he even force Peter to, to, to come out on the water, but it was something that Peter wanted to do. He simply spoke one word to Peter, one word that required his obedience, come. And what did Peter do? He was obedient. And as a result, he got to experience a miracle. And watch this. Now, the other disciples, catch this now, hold on. They got to see a miracle, but Peter got to experience a miracle. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just see a miracle. I want to experience a miracle. Amen? How many of you would say, yes, Lord, I want to experience a miracle? Well, what if that miracle is only to be found on the other side of something that you have yet to be obedient to? Something that God has already spoken to your heart about, but you've been hesitating 
or you've been fearful of what might happen if you do. You know, I think that the devil has been working over time uh, to try to keep many Christians from experiencing the miraculous because they're afraid that if they obey what God's word tells them to do or if they obey what the leading of the Holy Spirit prompts them to do, that somehow they'll be giving up something that they value for something less. But if you believe that, look at me, you're believing a lie. And believing that lie has been keeping countless Christians from experiencing the miraculous and experiencing God as they should. I mean, sure, they've got to watch from the sidelines as others experience God. They've read about the blessings that other people have received. There's a price to be paid if you want to be a part of what God's doing, if you want to experience what God's doing on the earth. And that price is called obedience. Now, church, I know that I'm challenging you this morning, but that's my job, okay? And I love you. And so I challenge you with this. Are you being obedient or are you just martyring yourself for some other cause? Because the reality is we're all living and dying for something question I want to ask you is what? I mean, I know that living a life of surrender and obedience to God, I know that that can seem scary, right? But hold tight to this truth. Your faith may not know where it's being led, but it loves and knows the one who is leading. I mean, I, if you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive from him. Because it will always be what's best, right, and true. Like when he gives you a directive, you're not to just observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. One of the things that I love about Acts 11 is that even though the early church didn't know where they were going to land, they knew that God was with them. So they didn't care. It didn't matter. Jerusalem, Antioch, Cyrus, Cyrene made no difference as long as God was leading and was with them. Again, that thought may scare some of you, but it shouldn't. What should scare you is not being obedient to God. Hello? Because not being too obedient to God carries a vast array of consequences, like kind of depending upon what that thing is. But at the very least, it means sitting on the sidelines and watching everyone else who is obedient experience the hand of God. Church, can I just throw this thought out for you to consider? Something is wrong when our lives make sense to non-believers. You following with me? I mean, like if we look like the world, if we act like the world, if we're chasing after the same things that the world is chasing after, we have, in effect, put our lamp under a basket. Our salt's no longer salty. You with me? Those of you that doesn't make sense, go read Matthew 5, 13 later. Jesus will explain it to you, okay? In context, being salty is a good thing. <laughs> Let's read verses 25 and 26. It says, And Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. 
For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a, a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So picture this, if you will. Barnabas goes to Tarsus, which is Paul's hometown, brings them back to Antioch, and then they spend a whole year there uh, teaching as many as they, as many as would listen, really. And this right here is technically the, the starting point of Paul's first missionary journey. But this portion of the text, it also shows that Paul had um, been assigned, both Paul and Barnabas had been assigned to reaching the Gentiles. And Antioch then became uh, one of the main bases for Paul's missionary work. Now, I want to give you guys just a little bit of uh, maybe good historical background for what we're talking about. Um, the city of Antioch, um, it's going to come out many, many times uh, throughout the scripture. And so let me just give you a little bit of uh, insight into Antioch. Antioch was a, a major city in the Roman province of Syria. And it was one of the largest and most important cities in the Eastern Roman Empire. And it was known for its strategic uh, location, its wealth, uh, and also for its uh, diverse population. I guess you could say it's a little like Jacksonville, maybe. <laughs> but Paul would return many, many times back to Antioch. As a matter of fact, whenever we read later on, and we eventually, this time's probably next year, get around to Acts chapter 28. Doesn't it feel like that? That's all right, though, if it takes that long. He actually even talks about it on his uh, last uh, voyage to Rome. <clears throat> but, and, uh, oh, by the way, the scripture says that it was there in Antioch. It's where they were first called Christians. But here's the thing. This wasn't a name that they gave themselves, but instead um, it was given by the Gentiles. And uh, at first it kind of was something that was spoken um, in a disrespectful manner or a derogatory manner, but the Christian, I'm sorry, the name Christian means little Christ. And so the disciples, they just received it as a badge of honor. Now let's read the last few verses here in Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 27 through 30. It says, Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Let me stop there for a minute because I just feel like there needs to be a prompting to teach for just a second. And that is, today, there are still prophets on the earth today. The apostles, the I, I don't know where at some point we came into this crazy belief and a doctrine has built, been built around it that of the five-fold ministry, two of them has been shot dead. That is absolutely crazy. And it's not biblical. And if you say, oh, really, I will gladly sit with you, my friends, okay? It is very much, as a matter of fact, it says, in the last days, your sons and your daughters. Ladies, don't ever buy into this junk. I know there may come a day that you may not live in Jacksonville or for whatever reason. If you ever end up in a church and, ladies, they tell you that you can't do something that a man can do, let me tell you something. You need to run, not walk, run from that place. God wants to use, hey, you don't believe that? And if you have a problem with that, like if that bothers you right there, then, then you've got a problem with the word. It says in the last day, your sons and your daughters are going to prophesy. Hello? Come on, ladies. Where y'all at? Y'all don't be sitting there quiet right now. Come on. So don't take it just because this pastor said it. Y'all need it. If you got an issue with it, you need to 
you need to take it up with the Bible. Maybe you need to kick some of that old school denomination that you got stored in you. But here's the thing. Watch this. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Let me say this. There are people in our life that love us, and they're sincere in the things that they've taught us. Problem is, they just were sincerely wrong. Are you with me? And so they still love you. And so it's not like all of a sudden, you know, wow, grandma was off. No, grandma still loves you. And grandma loved you and told you mom. And y'all with me? Okay. But look, as we mature into things of Christ, we need to be searching the scriptures for ourselves. Hey, y'all need to be searching the things that I teach you, young people. Middle-aged people, old people, are you with me? Anytime anyone teaches you, it's got to be filtered through the Scripture. Know what the Word says. Know what it says. So those days came down from Jerusalem and Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up, foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place during the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it by the elders, by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now, providing a little bit of context here helps with what all is taking place. The scripture says that there was a group of prophets that came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of the prophets, Agabus, he stood up, he he then prophesies, he predicts this great famine that's going to take place all over the world. And by the way, I know some of you have probably read that before, and in case you're wondering, man, did that ever actually happen, right? Um, it, well, it did, actually. Um, some of the most well-known historians of the time recorded it, and they made mention of it. Uh, Josephus, for example, in the Antiquities of the Jews, mentions it. Uh, Suonius, in the Lives of the Caesars, both indicate that there was a widespread famine all over uh, the Roman Empire, and it was during the reign of Claudius, and also that many people died, many, many people died as a result. Now, this was significant for the church because, watch this, it represented a great opportunity. See, Agabus's prophecy wasn't just a prediction, but it was a call to action. And in most circumstances, you will find that when God speaks, it's not just to inform, but rather to transform. He tells us what we need to know in order that we would respond. Let, let, let me tell you that again, because God doesn't speak to you so that all of a sudden you go and you, you tell others about it and you start the rumor mill. I know that none of you do that, so I'm just throwing that out there in case you can go and teach that to someone else one day who needs to hear it. Are y'all with me? And God doesn't just speak something to you so that you can hold it to yourself. If God is speaking and you say, but pastor, I don't know what I'm supposed to do when God speaks to me. Can I give you the default answer? Pray. Huh? Pray. You can always do that. Like if you don't know if you're supposed to stand up like Agabus did and prophesy, or modern day, that may be coming up and having a word to the church. It might be having a word for your small group. It may be having a word for an individual, and you go to them through word of knowledge and word of wisdom, and you speak that word, right? But it, all of those things that we're talking about here, it, it requires us stepping out. It requires us having faith. The scripture says this. It says, the disciples determined every one of them according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea. 
and they responded. They heard the word of the Lord, they responded. They weren't able to do everything, but watch this, they did something. Hello? They weren't able to do everything, but they were able to do something. And can I just tell you something, guys? You may not be able to do everything. You may look and say, I don't have a whole lot. That's okay. Use the whole lot. You know, a snowflake is so insignificant, seems so insignificant, until you get a bunch of them together and then it stops traffic. Hello? So when we come together and we all do what we have been called to do, we do our part no matter how insignificant you may think that it is, I promise you that it is significant. Again, I love that it says everyone according to his ability. Anytime that there is a call that is set before us, we're to respond according to our ability. That means that we don't look at what others are doing or not doing, but we examine what God has given us and how we're supposed to respond. Like, for example, you may not be able to go on a missions trip, but you could help send someone. You might not be able to pay to have someone's yard mowed, a neighbor who needs it, but you could mow their yard. Or you might not be able to uh, uh, fast a meal during the 21-day the fast, but you could fast sugar or fried foods. Stay away from that one, Pastor. Or how about this one, social media. The point that I'm making is this. God has given each and every one of us gifts and talents. And when we do our part, we're able to do great things for God. But watch this. A foot isn't any good without a leg. A hand isn't any good without an arm. And in order for us as a church body to accomplish all the things that God has called us to, it's going to require that each of us respond, ready, each, everyone according to his ability. Are y'all following with me on that church? Now, let me just close today's message with this. Today's chapter is a powerful reminder of four things. The importance of God's grace in the life of the believer. The role of encouragement both within and around our community. The gravity of being obedient to God no matter the cost. And the significance of being united as a body of believers. And all four of these things are needed if we are going to see the advancement of the kingdom of God like what we're reading about here in the book of Acts. And ask everyone to stand with me if you would. And it would be way too cliche for me to ask, especially considering my series title, who'd say I'm all in. But watch this. Rather, I'm going to invite you to live all in. To let your light shine before men in such a way that it shouts, I'm all in, without you ever even having to say it. I'm talking about a life that says, I won't lean on my own understanding, but I will trust your grace in all things. I will do my part in giving encouragement to those that are around me. I will be obedient to God even when I don't understand it or even like it. And I will stand side by side 
hand in hand with my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for the sole purpose of growing closer to him each and every day and making him known to a lost world. Come on, if that's you, I want to ask you right now to raise your hands, both hands, is a sign of surrender that says yes to God. Come on, let's worship now.